The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. I want to send a direct message to the American people. Due to the steps we've taken, Omicron has not yet spread as fast as it would have otherwise done. And that's happening in Europe. But it's here now, and it's spreading, and it's going to increase. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated and you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death, period. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. So that is the president of the... United States, the leader of the free world, saying that um, we are going to be facing a winter of severe illness and death, especially if you're unvaccinated. It was President Joe Biden yesterday warning unvaccinated Americans, get ready, and he urged people to go out to get vaccinated against the Omicron variant. In a moment, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is going to be stopping by. I want to get his take on this as well, because how effective is the current vaccination, you know, regimen that we have here, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna or J&J, against this, this particular variant. What about the booster? You might be thinking about getting boosted. Uh, what we'll do today, coming up in a minute, I'll, just, I'll fill you in on some of the news that's unfolding right now. Uh, if you have a question regarding COVID-19, Omicron, or anything else, uh, you can dial in 888 888- 914-9149, and we'll, we'll tap into the expertise and genius of Dr. Bhattacharya and get those answered for you. Let me fill you in first um, on what's happening. Uh, the CDC, that's the Center for D- Disease Control and Prevention, uh, Tuesday of this week, they issued a warning to Americans. They said that the Omicron variant uh, of COVID-19, it's going to be here. It's going to spread very quickly. They're reporting it 70 times more infectious or, you know, is it contagious, I should say. Uh, but, you know, we, we are seeing that this is not really necessarily pulmonary. It's more in the respiratory tract for, for a lot of people. Uh, the news from South Africa, which had the variant the longest, is that the variant seems to be pretty mild. It's not causing as many hospitalizations as Delta. Delta was pretty serious. So uh, officials here in the U.S. believe that the current vaccines and the booster shots, they should take care of it. So will your vaccination, if you're vaccinated, will your booster protect you from Omicron? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have the answer to that Dr. Bhattacharya can plug us in. I'm assuming it, it does. But there are still concerns. Uh, you know, I, I shared a few minutes ago um, that we as a nation, we have lost almost a million people. We've lost 800,000 people from this virus. I mean, that, that's a lot of Americans. You know, the Washington Post reported that the CDC's briefing on Tuesday detailed two scenarios f- for how this variant you know, might spread throughout the country. I'm speaking about Omicron, of course. Um, the worst case scenario has spooked top health officials who fear that you know, we're going to see this fresh wave uh, layered on top of the Delta variant and then flu and the flu in, in what they described as kind of a triple threat, a triple whammy. And they are concerned. I think it's a legitimate concern because if it does happen, it could overwhelm health systems. It could devastate communities, particularly, you know, those with low vaccination rates. But the second scenario, uh, that outlines a a smaller Omicron uh, surge in in spring. So, 
you know, I don't think anybody has a crystal ball. Nobody really knows. But there are two states where the response to the variant has been the placement of more restrictions. California and New York, right? Two coastal states have mandated, you know what? We need more indoor masking in public places. Let's talk about that, too. All right? I do. I want to talk about... Are the are the masks working? You heard Southwest uh, Air. I think it was Southwest Air just the other day. The the uh, um, the CEO of that saying, "Hey, they, they're thinking about getting rid of the masks on the airplanes because the filtration system is so good." Do we need masks? How effective are they? You know. But New York and California, you need them indoors now. There are some uh, interesting developments in some other places as well. The governor of Colorado has declared the pandemic over. <laughs> totally different view, right? Than than California and New York. He he basically says that. Um, Anyone who hasn't been vaccinated by now pretty much deserves anything they get. And a couple of you know businesses right now, they're seeing the impact of it. A couple of airline executives, as I shared, they told Congress, you, know, you probably saw this already, that we don't need masking on planes. The stats show that very few people have been infected with it on airplanes, even before they were uh, you know, mask mandates. But look, there are others who say basically we've lost the war. It's over. You know, we've got covid and it's going to be here for a very, very long time. Get ready to live with it. So a lot to unpack, right? There, there's so much. Every week, it seems, there's new developments, new questions. And you are more than welcome to get your question answered. 888-914-9149. Uh, I'm joined today by Dr. J. J. Bhattacharya. He teaches at the Center for Primary Care and Outcomes Research at uh, Stanford University School of Medicine. But he's a specialist in infectious disease, and he recently wrote a uh, an article. He wrote an article in Daily Mail, uh, and he he made the case that we need to increase focus protection of the the vulnerable, the older population, those who are more than a thousand times more likely to die from COVID infection than than the young. And I think that's such a strong point. If you want to read uh, more of his thoughts, you can go to gbdeclaration.org. That's gbdeclaration.org. He joins me now. Doctor, thank you for your time and how precious it is, and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Drew. Uh, uh, your article makes a great case. Let's pick it up on on that. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing reports. I saw the president earlier say, hey, this is 70 times more contagious. They're worried about overwhelming hospitals. Um, he is estimating 15,000 American lives being lost per month due to uh, Omicron and, uh, and and Delta in the coming months. That's a stark um Warning, he's talking about a winter of uh, of illness and death. Very dark message. Um, but to your point, um, I, I, I'm assuming there's a, a certain demographic uh, that is more vulnerable, the elderly, those with comorbidities. L- let's talk about that. What do you see coming? Will we be engaged in a winter of, of illness and darkness, or is it a particular demographic that is going to be the recipient of that? Well, first, on, on – um... COVID more generally, what you said is right. Uh, there's a there's a thousand-fold difference in the risk for someone who's older versus someone who's younger in the risk of death if you get infected with COVID. I and mean, that was true for Delta. That was true for the other variants before, before Omicron. Um, and, I th- and I think it's likely true for Omicron, too, because uh, it's still COVID. Um, so th- that is a very important fact because it means that there's a certain group of people that we know who needs protection. Um, as far as Omicron itself, actually, a lot of the evidence from places like South Africa and the UK that's coming out is actually seems like it's it's less deadly than the previous variants. Uh, in, in fact, I think there's only been, if I if I have the reports right, at least as of yesterday, one reported death from Omicron world, around the world world to this to this uh, to this wow. day. That's wild. Um, 
So, I mean, I think um, if that's true, that's actually, you know, I mean, that's, that's at least a little bit encouraging. Um, it does seem to be more infectious. Uh, so in the UK, I think it's now like, you know, half the new cases are, are Omicron, half are still Delta. Um, but uh, but I think uh, I think that that um, the, the, the way to think about the infectivity of this, you know, we've had we've been now with around this virus for two years and we really don't have a way to stop it from spreading. In fact, a lot of the problems that have happened during the last two years have arisen in large part because we have undertaken measures with an aim towards stopping it from spreading. But these measures have no capacity to do so. Right. So the, we first adopted lockdowns, stay, shelter in place orders, but the virus still spread. We put masks in place, but the virus still spread. Um, we hoped and I hoped, actually, in the early days of the of the, the vaccine that the vaccines could stop the disease from spreading. Mm-hmm. But what we've learned since is that the vaccines, while excellent at protecting people against severe disease, are much less good at preventing people from, from spreading disease, and getting infected and spreading disease. Vaccinated people do get infected and can still spread the disease. Right. So we actually have no technology to stop disease spread. You'd think that's bad news. I mean, of course, it would be better if we did. But it, it's, it's actually news we can live with. And I'll tell you why. We have excellent technologies to limit the harm if you do get infected. The vaccine, number one. Right? If you get infected and you have the vaccine on board, it is, you're going to reduce the likelihood of, more, of being hospitalized or dying from the disease very, very substantially. Second, we have excellent treatments available, early treatments available. If you get sick in the first five, six days before you, when you're getting sick, if you go get uh, an early treatment like a monoclonal antibody, and there's infusion centers now available all across the country, you will have a 70, 80% reduction in the likelihood of being hospitalized. 70% reduction in the risk of being hospitalized, according to some randomized data. Uh, there's still some worry whether that will still be true with Omicron, but they can adjust the formulation so that it would be specific to Omicron in pretty, pretty rapidly. Um, third, if you, uh, if there are now these rapid antigen tests, you can take, basically take a little, preg- it looks like a pregnancy kit. You take the test at home and very quickly know if you are infectious. So before you go visit grandma, if you're you know, 20 years old, go, don't go visit grandma if you can just check yourself. Um, that, that puts power in the, in the hands of the people to say, okay, how can I protect the older people in my life who are really vulnerable? Um, so, I mean, I think we have this range of tools available that are, that are very, very, very good at protecting people who are most vulnerable from this. And we know who they are. They, they, they're, they're older people who, are, who face the greatest risk, especially unvaccinated older people. All right, well, let's do this. Let's grab a few phone calls for you. If you want to join us, it's 888-914-9149. Elena is listening in Chicago, doctor. She's got a question for you. Good afternoon, Elena. Hi, doctor. Um, I have a question. Uh, I'm not vaccinated. Um, reason being is I think my family already had COVID. Um, if we had it, it was January 2020 before it was even announced, before anyone even really knew about it. Um, so I'm just kind of getting concerned and I wanted to know if I, if I really have had COVID and if not, if I haven't had COVID, then maybe I should consider getting vaccinated. Um, now I've heard of T cell and B cell tests. Um, I went to my primary care and asked if they can do a test like that to see if I've had it. She didn't know anything about it. I wanted to know where I can get one. And if, 
I wanted to know where I can get one of those tests if it is, in fact, um, the most reliable test to determine if I've had it before in the past. Okay. So that's a great I, question. I have had... Um, I have had antibody tests, the PCR and the spike protein, and they both come up negative. So um, I have no antibodies. All right, great. Uh, can, can I ask a, a question? So how, how, why do you think you got it in January? Did, what kind of symptoms did you have? Uh, well, I didn't really get sick, um, but my husband did. Um, he started with the progression of it. He had a really high fever. Um, when he first got it, he just had a tickle in his throat. Eight hours later, he was 104 fever really bad headache, um, and then he just was nauseated, the food tasted bad, um, couldn't eat anything. Then he got um, mild diarrhea, um, but it was just like, wow, symptom after symptom, he just kept getting worse, and I was really concerned for him. Um, he yeah. actually even told me, do you want me to sleep on the couch so I don't get you sick? And I said, no, yeah. please stay with me. I'm, I was very worried for him. Yeah, okay. So it's it's hard to tell uh, just from that whether you got sick or not, whether whether you had got the virus or not. And the T cells uh, tests they are available, but they're not available in every lab. Um, and you, you, if you insist with your primary care doctor, they might be able to uh, find a lab that, that that does it. And they're they are certainly available around the country, uh, but again, not in every lab. They're not the standard test. Um, what I would recommend for you is that that uh, it's that you don't know for certain that you were sick. And the T cells, if they if they come, I mean, it, it's it's hard to find those tests. I would recommend getting vaccinated if I were you. I mean, there's no there's no other cheap. There's, the vaccines are cheap and, and available. And um, if you get uh, like uh, you know one of the the mRNA vaccines, they're very low side effects for someone your in your age category. Um, I would I, I would strongly recommend even if you don't know. Uh, now, if you ha- generally if you have recovered from COVID and you know for certain that you've had COVID and recovered, that provides excellent protection against reinfection, um, probably better protection than the vaccine itself. But when you're uncertain like you are, uh, I think the safer path is to get vaccinated. All right, thank you, Elena, for your call. Um, I, I want to move along. Tracy's a frontline nurse, um, and she's got an interesting perspective to share. Dr. Tracy, who's listening in Henderson, Nevada, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. So, yes, I'm affiliated with it's called the Frontline Critical Care COVID Alliance. And if, if your listeners could go to their website, they have what's called an early treatment suggestions. And besides, you know, getting into talking about like ivermectin and the monoclonal antibodies that that are very effective, there's little things such as antiseptic gargle mouthwash, um, nasal betadine spray. Um, It's all on their website with some excellent resources and and clinical information that um, they provide. So right now, I currently have about 40 patients that I'm working with getting early treatment. We have a network here in the area that I live with or live in with uh, three frontline doctors and pharmacies and, and a whole team of nurses. It's really exciting to uh, be involved in this, but I will tell you, it's, I feel like I'm working in the underground. Um, things that I've been a nurse for 32 years and I've never seen early treatment at, at this, it's a huge blockade. So my thing is, is if people could just have what's called a ready to go COVID kit, um, zinc, vitamin D, quercetin, melatonin, mouthwash, and ivermectin. Um, I worked for most pharmaceuticals for 10 years of my life, and it's just it's in, incredible to me to see how, how 
ivermectin is now, you know, being demonized as this unsafe uh, medication. And, and I can tell you, it's, it's when I promoted it back in the 90s, we were promoting it to pregnant women, children all over Africa. And uh, anyway, that's just my comment. Yeah. Well, and, Tracy, uh, and, and maybe you can help me. Maybe Dr. J can sound off on this as well. I had read a report, not a read a report, I saw a headline a couple of days ago that uh, there is there the shipments of ivermectin coming from overseas is being uh, intercepted right now and they're not being distributed what is it are you seeing that too are you seeing the uh, uh the impediment of of, of ivermectin and doctor yes, what is it about yes. this that's that they're so worried about getting to the population um it's a repurposed drug and there's no money involved in it and that's really the, the bottom line um there's pharmacies, there's frontline pharmacies all over the United States that, that you can still get the ivermectin. But just recently, I had mm-hmm. three patients have their ivermectin blocked at uh, coming into the United States that they were wow. ordering from uh, India. So it is happening. Um, yep. Interesting. So I don't know if doctor has a, a comment on that, but yeah. that, that's Thanks, my perspective. Tracy. I worked in the pharmaceutical company. I can tell you it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy on what, what I'm seeing. I, I, in fact, I'm in shock, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, yeah. It's insane. Well, thanks for what you do, Trace. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, doctor, I'll let you respond. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the big scandals of the pandemic has been that we do not have uh, definitive randomized studies of these cheap repurposed drugs that seem like they have, they're very, very promising. Ivermectin, uh, also fluvoxamine, um, it, look, it looks pretty good. Um, the NIH has a large study that is funded, but is not due to be completed until March of 2023, which is just a, a, a scandal. I mean, this is something that we should have had early, r- rapid, large-scale, randomized studies done in 2020, like we had with the vaccines. Um, uh, now, and, and doctors do lose their licenses over prescribing it, which is why uh, you're, you're, people may find it difficult to find doctors who, who prescribe it to them. Um, and that, that, that also is a scandal. Uh, and and as, as, the, as the, caller, uh, the caller said, it is a drug that's been used by literally billions of people, ivermectin itself. Uh, it's probably the best, it's probably saved more people from blindness than any other, uh, any other drug on earth because it, it's treated, it treats uh, onchocerciasis, which, uh, which is a disease that causes blindness in, in, in a crazy number of people around the world. Um, but uh, this is why I recommend uh, the monoclonal antibodies. That is an FDA-approved treatment. Every doctor you talk with will feel comfortable prescribing it if you get, if you get it, uh, the disease. Uh, there are centers available all over the country, and it's you know, cheap, but federally subsidized. Um, so you should be able to get it without, any, uh, without put, making your doctor uncomfortable or, or, or anything else. I also agree with the caller about certain things like vitamin D, which has been shown to, be, uh, to reduce the risk if you do get sick. Uh, uh, and I think things like uh, that, that the Florida Surgeon General is emphasizing, things like you know, healthy, ex- uh, healthy uh, habits like exercise, um, you know, healthy diets, all play an important role to protect you if you, if you were to get sick, uh, not just against COVID, but against a whole range of other things as well. So I think, um, I think uh, it's a very strange thing that this sort of, uh, this, we've, we sort of look down on these cheap repurposed drugs that seem so promising uh, that's something we should address, but even even uh, even before that's addressed from a policy point of view, listeners should remember there are want drugs like these uh, these monoclonal antibodies that you will have no trouble getting, and they'll get doctors to give you if you do get sick. 
So, so doctor, just following up on on that, I mean, outside of ivermectin, the president saying, hey, if you're unvaccinated, expect a winter of severe illness and death. How effective is Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, Moderna? How effective is uh, the vaccine in fighting Omicron and being boosted? Does that help at all in the fight against what are we seeing or is it kind of ineffectual against this variant? Well, I mean, it's it's still early days to know for certain about that. Uh, but from what I've seen of the biology of it, is that is that uh, the the vaccine, just like recovering from COVID, produces uh, not just antibodies, but other other uh, cellular mechanisms to to protect you against severe disease if you were to get infected, uh, even against Omicron. Um, as I said, the, the Omicron has so far right. produced a milder disease than the other variants. Um, and, and, and many vaccinated people have gotten infected with Omicron, again, with, with, uh, without, without dying. Um, so I, I think uh, that it is reasonable if you uh, are unvaccinated, especially if you're older, to get vaccinated. Um, if you, it's also reasonable if you are older. It's been a long time since you've had the vaccine, maybe six, seven, eight months. <laughs> um, and you are uh, it's, you know, and, and, and you haven't, you know, you haven't recovered from COVID or something, in which case you already protected. In that case, you can get the booster. I think that's completely reasonable. All right. That sounds great. We'll move along. We'll go to uh, Teresa listening in Covina, California. Teresa, good afternoon. Give my call. Number one, how effective is um, copper in fighting COVID? Number two, based on the, the uh, copper IUD, can this be a a solution because we know what the copper IUD does. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I apologize, but I don't think I've seen any evidence that suggests that copper is effective in fighting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the, the, uh, the, the kinds of treatments where I've seen evidence are the stuff we've already talked about, um, things like the monoclonal antibodies, the, uh, the, uh, uh, like there's some evidence on fluvoxamine. Uh, there's some there's some evidence on ivermectin, although the, the, that's hotly disputed. Um, uh, vitamin D. I mean, if you stick to monoclonal antibodies, if you get sick, that there's strong evidence that'll protect you against severe disease. So that, that's what yeah. I'm recommending right now. Well, I'll tell you. Let me uh, let me take a quick break here. So when we come back, I'll grab your call. If you're on hold, I'm going to get you on the air, and uh, I want to talk about everything from how effective masks are. There's a lot of new masking policies going in. Is it indeed effective? And what about vaccines for kids? And whether or not you actually do need a booster? That and a whole lot more coming up. Your calls are on deck, and of course, if you want to join me, it is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine my guest today dr jay buticharia or botticharia i should say uh expert infectious disease doctor and we're bringing you up to speed on the latest when it comes to the omicron uh, variant everything you need to know and what's being forecasted for the months ahead stay with me hi drew mariani here hey i am traveling to the holy land in february with our underwriting sponsor nativity pilgrimage information is available at relevantradio.com slash holy land that's relevantradio.com slash holy land your life connected the drew mariani show on relevant radio well thanks for joining me you're just getting plugged in. We're taking a look at the latest with this new variant of COVID-19 known as Omicron. Reports are that it's 70 times more contagious. So if you have a comorbidity, if you are an older 
person and an older population, you do got to you have to be vigilant. You have to protect yourself. But what does it mean for others? What if you got kids or teenagers or young adults in college? What if you're healthy? What if you had COVID? What if you've been, you know, you had your vaccine and you've been, you've been boosted? A lot of questions. And, and what about some of these other treatments, these pills that, uh, you know, Merck has come out with and some of these other companies? My guest today to help us answer all those questions and more, especially yours, is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Great to have him here with us. He teaches at the Center for Primary Care and Outcomes Research at Stanford University School of Medicine and is a specialist in infectious disease. Doctor, good to have you back with me. I am I am grateful. Um, let's jump right into the phones. We'll take a couple quick calls. I think a lot of those questions are probably going to pop up. Linda is listening in Hammond, Indiana. Hi, Linda. Hi, hi, Drew. Hi, doctor. Could you please address the multi-inflammatory syndrome in children because I read that some children seven years old received the vaccine and they got the multi-inflammatory syndrome and I'm very concerned about my grandson could you please ask answer that sure Uh, thank you for that question so uh, multi-inflammatory syndrome is a uh, condition that actually sometimes happens uh, with when you get infected with COVID, when children can get this. Um, I mean, it's uh, different body parts become inflamed, and, uh, and, it, it, and there's no real known cause for it. Uh, most, most kids who get this uh, recover from it, but it can be deadly. Um, it's very rare, though, when children get uh, the, the children to get this after they get COVID. It's also very rare that children get this after they get the vaccine. Um, it's something that happens that, and of course, you should be worried if, if it happens, but I wouldn't, I don't recommend spending a lot of time worrying particularly about that. I will say for children, the necessity of the vaccine is much less than it is for adults, uh, for older adults. Children, the harm from COVID is so little that uh, more children die in the typical year of the seasonal flu than, than die in the typical year from COVID infection. Uh, children are relatively protected Again, severe outcomes if they get COVID, uh, which is you know a, a huge godsend, and um, and side effects like and and, and um, conditions like this multi-inflammatory syndrome of childhood is 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 are, are as I said very very rare. Um, and, but on, and on the other hand, the vaccines, while they're they're pretty safe, uh, but there are, are some known side effects in young people, especially young boys. Um, they get they have a higher risk of of myocarditis after you, after you get the vaccine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, for their, for children, I would recommend talking to your pediatrician, really determining whether it makes sense to give the vaccine. It's a much closer call whether the vaccine is worthwhile for children or not, whereas for older adults, it is a slam dunk. Uh, the, the vaccine will protect you against severe disease. All right. Sounds great. Great question, though. I appreciate that. Tom is listening in Baltimore, Maryland. Tom, good afternoon. Yeah, doctor. I'm in my 60s. I had COVID in the spring. I had monoclonal antibodies. And I have not been vaccinated. The authorities I'd listened to um, recommended against it, and there was also uncertainty. I'd been warned against getting vaccinated right after the monoclonal antibody treatment. I'm curious what you would say to me. I mean, I think that the the necessity for you to get vaccinated is much less than someone who has not recovered from COVID. Uh, Recovery from COVID provides an excellent protection against severe future reinfection. Like many studies... It's something like on the order of at one year, only about a half percent or one percent uh, get reinfected um, wow. from that. You know, and now that might change with Omicron. But at the same time, all of those reinfections 
tend to be much milder than the initial course of the disease. So even though you are uh, in the age group, I generally would say, yes, get vaccinated. The benefit from getting vaccinated on top of being recovered from COVID is small. Uh, it's much more important that we vaccinate people who are older that have not actually recovered from COVID. Mm-hmm. There, and there for that, there's millions of people around the world, essentially like the rich countries are hoarding vaccine doses. We should be sending them to places everywhere where older people live that have not wow. had COVID um, to save lives. All right. That's well said. Tom, thanks. It's a good question. Uh, Jane is listening in New York State. She's got a question about masks. I think this is uh, good to bring into the conversation. Jane, good afternoon. Hello? Hi, Hi, Jane. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, uh, I was wondering why, after two years of all of this, um, the media has not come out and said that it's really the N95 mask that protect against um, getting the, the the virus through the mask. Mm-hmm. And the cloth masks may protect a little bit, but really right. not much. And also, um, it, it's just unbelievable that, again, after two years, um, so many people have, have, have yeah. passed away from this when if they were given either hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, early on, prescribed immediately, not just sent home to get worse. They may have survived. And even with the monoclonal antibodies, many hospitals don't give it. They say their only protocol is remdesivir, uh, which is very harmful and doesn't help much. And also, um, the mandates themselves, um, they're they're really uh, very, very divisive, and, and they don't help anything and, and they're very severe in new york right. those are my Jane, comments th- thanks for calling three things there doctor Let, let's start with her first one masks she talks about n95 and how much more effective they are than people who just throw cloth over their, their face or where a mask doesn't have that same filtration um and, and the mandates was the third part of her question we're gonna do ivermectin uh, last but let's talk about those two things masks and mandates uh new york and california of course now reverting to indoor uh, mask mandates uh how effective is masking? And then secondly, you know, you can follow that up, of course, with your thought on mandating this. Uh, your, your thought on that, is it the type of mask that matters? And, you know, does it make a difference? I've heard other physicians say, I think the masks are just a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, I think generally the, the, the evidence, the, the good, the good high-quality evidence on whether masks make a difference is, is finds that they don't make a very large difference at all, if any. Um, and I think uh, we've overplayed and overemphasized the use of masks as a way to, to protect others in the, during the pandemic. As, as I said, there's, we've had uh, in, at times upwards of 80, 90 percent mask compliance in large parts of the country, and yet the disease continues to spread because the masks are not very effective against aerosolized viruses. Viruses, so basically you breathe, the, the air comes out the sides and the top, and may, that may include viral particles that stay in the air. Um, so the masks don't protect against that. I mean, they protect against droplets. The N95s are very effective in the hands of somebody who's trained to use them, tight fitting, changes them over time, and in settings where, uh, like, you know, in, in hospitals, uh, they're less effective when used by people who don't really have them tight fitted um, in settings where they're used over a very long period of time without changing them. So it's even even N95s are difficult to, 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 to use correctly. Um, and cloth masks, I agree. I mean, there's very little evidence that they provide much protection at all. So I think um, I think the masks have been overemphasized as a tool for protection. 
Uh, the mandates, the mask, uh, I assume she, you meant mask mandates. Look, maybe mm-hmm. you also meant uh, the, the vaccine mandates. I think generally these mandates have been incredibly divisive and, and have undermined trust in public health. I mean, I'll give you one example sure. is uh, a restaurant, right? So you have a restaurant that's mandated to require masks. The servers are wearing masks. The patrons walk in the door masked, but then they sit down and take the mask off. Right. I mean, if, if that's not science, that's something else, right? There's some, there's some very Absolutely. odd odd thinking around that. Um, I, I think generally that diminishes trust in public health. Um, mm. And it's divisive because what, what has happened is that masks have become a partisan issue where one party says, oh, you must wear masks to be responsible. And another party says, well, the, the masks don't work. Why, why am I being forced to wear them? And you've created a situation where one, one group of people look down on another group of people because of, because of a health behavior that has only a marginal, marginal effect on the outcome. Public health should seek to unify, not divide. And, and the mandates, I think, are, are divisive without having any substantial impact on the, on the progress of the pandemic. Yeah, there, there are, uh, there's military personnel that are being dismissed. I've seen uh, pro- they're going to release prisoners because there's not enough you know, correctional officers to work. And a lot of people are not getting vaccinated. It's compromising. A lot of the frontline workers, doctor, like you and so many nurses and others who were heroes, you know, a year ago, um, many people are calling zeros because some people don't want to get vaccinated and they're, they're, as a result, losing their job. The other point that she brought up that, that she wanted to hit on, if we would have had other treatment early on, such as HCQ, hydroxy, uh, hydroxychloroquine or, or ivermectin, would that have made a difference? Do you think that would have saved some lives? Uh, so just just one one quick question. I I, I do research full time. I don't actually take okay. care of patients. So that's not that's those okay. are, there are other frontline doctors who really and nurses who've been heroes absolutely. And uh, those vaccine mandates have ignored the natural immunity they had. I mean they they may not want the vaccine. It really right. is a terrible terrible public policy. Uh, your question about about ivermectin and um, and, uh, and other early treatments. Yeah. I I don't think. The evidence that I've seen it seems uh, like now we know that I don't think HCQ works all that well. Um, on the other hand, ivermectin, the evidence looks very promising. We do not yet have a definitive study. It's due to be done in 2023, this, this huge study that the NIH is putting together. Um, I think we should have had that answer to that. If, in retrospect, we look back and say, okay, well, these things do work, uh, I mean, there's going to be an egg on a lot of people's faces that discouraging the early the, the, the early treatment. Um, as, I was, as we discussed earlier, people use uh, p- people have lost their medical license over pr- over prescribing this, um, and so I think that that uh, I think that uh, and the, and there's good evidence that that or, or very very promising evidence that, dr- that drugs like ivermectin, flu, uh, fluvoxamine. Uh, and a couple other like repurposed drugs seem to work pretty well. Um, and, you know, we, again, nothing definitive as yet where people have accepted it. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's a deadly disease. We have promising evidence. Should we not allow doctors to use it? I mean, I think that just would have been a wise thing to let do. I agree. You know, there, there are some asking uh, about why Pfizer is doing such a slow release of documents on their study of vaccines. Um, is, is I think they wanted 50 years or something along those lines. It's going to take 50 years for all the information to come out, and and why are they impeding that? I mean, why why such a limited, slow release? So uh, I think I think I understand. I know the story that you're talking about, Drew. Right. So there was a, there was a, um, a FOIA request. FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act request by a, a, a private party to the FDA to release the the documentation that Pfizer provided to the FDA about its trial. 
And the FDA, not, not Pfizer, but the FDA has said that it's going to take 50 years to do the, the page release because it, I, I don't understand how that could possibly be. Like, they, why don't they just release the data fully so the public can have full sunshine on exactly how well the trial was run? That's really what ought to happen. Um, but in this case, the, 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 the bad actor is the FDA, not, uh, not Pfizer. All right. Uh, let, me, uh, let me grab another quick call here. We'll go to um, Gabby listening in Stockton, California. Gabby, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I just have a question. Me and my husband got the Delta variant back in September. Are we protected against uh, Omicron variant or do we have antibodies? It's a good question. Doctor, did you hear that? Yep. So if you if you know for a fact that you got that you were infected and recovered in uh, in September from uh, with the with the with the the, uh, the, the Delta variant, uh, it is you're certainly protected against reinfection. Now that doesn't mean you can't get infected again with Omicron. It's possible, but whatever when you do get infected, it's likely that you'll have a milder course of disease than you had the the, the first time. Uh, and with Omicron, the evidence seems to be that it's very mild for most for, for most uh, most infections, regardless of prior infection, um, but at least thus far. So I think the answer is yes, you are protected. All right, let me do this. I'm going to take a short pause. When we come back, we'll grab a few more calls. A lot of people very patiently waiting to answer a question and join the conversation. If you are just tuned in, my guest, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, we're exploring the Omicron variant, what it portends for the future. How bad will it get? Answering a lot of your questions from booster shots to the efficacy of masks. Masks. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Masks. <laughs> the plural of mask. That's <laughs> Friday, right? Stay with me. I'll be back in a second. Don't go away. Capagorda of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Well, it's good to be with you. President Biden has met with his uh, coronavirus response team at the White House. And with the Omicron variant spreading, coronavirus cases are now spiking across the country. And the pandemic is once again, I know, upending a lot of people's lives. And, uh, well, it's evoking, once again, this, the early days of the outbreak of scientists now race to understand is there's still unknown implications to this new new type of coronavirus, and um, we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot of worrying signs out there. Suddenly, you know, they, they keep, re, I don't know, re-manifesting. I mean, you have professional sports leagues that are now canceling games. You got colleges that are sending students home from campus. You got the Secretary of State, Anthony, uh, Anthony Blinken, you know, cutting short his trip to Southeast Asia. And uh, the number of the cases of, of Omicron, they're appearing to double about every two days. Uh, that's according to you know some of the data coming out of the uh, out of the U.S. I, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, is this going to? How long does this go on? You know, and, and is 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 the variant right now, or is the virus? I should say, is is COVID nineteen? Is it on its way out? Is it becoming less deadly, more communicable? Uh, and is it be? You know, are we, are we seeing, is this a natural cycle, the way the virus uh, will operate? My guest today, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, an expert in infectious disease, uh, a researcher. And doctor, uh, let me ask you that question. The cycle of life for this pandemic, um, 
this this Omicron, from what I understand, is not as deadly, although the White House is forecasting, you know, thousands of deaths as a result of it. What is the cycle of a pandemic like this? And, and is there a lot we still do not know? And you know, it's been 100 years since the last major pandemic. It's already been two years with this. Um, you know, how, how does this end? And, um, you know, is it possible this thing can mutate to be even more deadly? I mean, what do you see? I mean, I think the, uh, the the mutations, if anything, have been toward less deadly, not more deadly. Um, right. The, 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 the pandemic ends, uh, it, it, it's, although we think of it as an epidemiological decision, it's actually also a political and social decision. It ends when we understand that You're this right. is a virus we have to live with. We don't have a technology to stop the virus from spreading. It will be with us forever. Um, and so once you come to terms with that fact, the question is, how do you manage it? Um, and, and I think there, as I said at the beginning of the program, we have excellent tools like the vaccines, like early treatment, like, uh, like or testing, like, like test, you know, these, these rapid antigen tests to manage the risk associated with the virus. I think that uh, rather than spread fear about new variants, because uh, the, these are RNA viruses, they're always going to vi- mutate and there's always going to be new variants. Um, we should sp- spread the, 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 new, the news that, uh, if you, that for large parts of the population, if you had the, vac- the, the virus and recovered, you're actually pretty well protected. If you had the vaccine, well, you're pretty well protected. I mean, that means a very large fraction of the population is already protected. Even if they were to get infected again, they're not going to get a severe outcome. Um, for older people, for people with, with, uh, who have not been vaccinated and haven't recovered, especially older people, it's still a deadly disease. And, there, and that's, the, that's where we should be putting our focus. Focus on where the harm is going to be the most rather than trying to uh, undertake measures that have very marginal effects on the, the course of the pandemic, but harm people like school closures or uh, quarantines of young people or, or uh, you know, essentially creating fear and panic in the population. None of that is productive. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Doc, let's grab a few more calls. St. Joseph, Minnesota. Steve's been waiting for a while. Steve, I appreciate your patience. Good afternoon. Steve, you with us? All right, I'll put him back in queue. He's been holding a long time. He's on... Hey, Cindy, hi in Dallas, Texas. Good afternoon. <laughs> hey, Cindy. All right, Cindy might be in delay, too. I'll move along. Um, let's go to uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Doreen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. You are welcome. My question, my question has to do with variants, and the question is, does the test that one takes if they um, have been exposed or have symptoms, does it um, does the test indicate the variant? Um, and if not, where is the um, you know where are the numbers coming from about the spread of the new variant? Good question. It's a really good question. So the answer to that the question is: the typical test you take will not tell you which variant it is. It just tell you whether the virus is present or the antigens to the virus are present. Um, they will not tell you the particular variant. Uh, the, the, there's a couple of sources of information about this, uh, about the variant. One is that certain kind, some countries, uh, South Africa, where the variant was first identified, for instance, have excellent disease surveillance systems where they sequence the, the whole genome of the virus and they can tell um, from sampling whether the, what, you know, what, what the variants, what variants are spreading or not spreading. Same thing in the UK. Um, this variant, the Omicron variant, it turns out with a 
certain kind of uh, uh, modification of how you interpret the standard PCR test, you you might be able to infer whether the variant is spreading. So partly we know more about how the variant is spreading from that that kind of reasoning rather than whole genome sequencing. But the typical test that you're going to get from your lab won't tell you whether that you have the variant or the Delta variant or the Omicron variant or, or the wild type or whatever. You'll just know that that, that you have the, the virus or not. Okay, and the treatment would be the same if there's a treatment, I presume. Co- correct, yeah, and the vaccines are the same if you have the vaccines or not. So, I mean, I think um, now there's some concern about the monoclonal antibodies and some of the other treatments that need to be modified for Omicron. As best I can tell, the evidence is that um, that, that at least some of the, of the monoclonal antibody treatments work perfectly well against Omicron. So there's um, huh. there's always little modifications like that, but that's nothing I think patients should worry about because yeah. these are all quite effective uh, as, as, as far as we know to date. Great. All right, my guest, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, will go to Steve in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Steve, good afternoon. Hi, how are you doing? We're doing great, thanks. Great. All right, so I've been doing a little bit of research on this, and according to the NIH website, there's no human clinical trials prior to March of 2020, and I'm wondering, how can there be anybody that's saying that this is a safe and effective vaccine, this mRNA? Um, it's kind of like a computer software, basically. Mm-hmm. But how can that be a f- safe when there's no human clinical trials prior to March of 2020? So that's a good question. So it, it turns out, so there, there have been clinical trials that have been done since March of 2020, uh, very large ones in 2020, in 2020 that led to the approval of the emergency use of these, of these vaccines. <clears throat> Since then, billions of people have now taken the vaccines. Um, and we have a long uh, set of, like a, uh, like of, of uh, uh, sort of track record using um, careful cohort studies of the safety. And these have found some safety concerns. So for instance, young men <clears throat> for the mRNA vaccines have a one in 5,000 risk one of myocarditis, something on that order. Um, the, the J&J vaccine, uh, middle-aged women have an elevated risk of clotting. <coughs> There's a mild risk also of severe neurologic conditions, I mean, one in a million risk for older people. So, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. No problem. A little cough. Um, but I yeah, I mean, that I think, Yeah, I just love <laughs> talking with the cough. It's hard. <coughs> but it's yeah, so I think there's... A, there's a there's a pretty good safety track record, yeah. and t- we're still looking for them. But uh, from what I've seen to date, it's pretty safe. Yeah, hey, a couple questions here too, Doc. While um, we clear your throat, I'll just uh, ask two of them. One, we've got Christine in Albuquerque who wants to know what you know exactly is considered elderly, and then William writes into us, and he said the same thing to me. He's uh, he's asking that same type of question. He wants to know. Um, you know, what is considered elderly? He's already had uh, two shots and wants to know he needs a booster as well. So your, your thoughts for, for, you know, what is defined as, as elderly and whether or not people should be boosted? Well, I think for, for <laughs> elderly is, 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 I think the right definition depends on your risk tolerance. If you can't abide by the risk of getting COVID and you're very worried about it, 50 could be elderly as far as I'm concerned. Wow. If, on the other hand, you're you're um, you're 60 and you're you're not not particularly worried about COVID, I mean, I can see you saying, "Okay, I, I've already got the vaccine. I don't really want the booster. I can understand that." 
Uh, if you're over the age of 65, though, or 70, I definitely recommend uh, the, the, the vaccine and the booster. All right. There's a lot of people asking that question. Laura in Philadelphia was saying, I'm 79 years old, had two Pfizer shots. What are your thoughts on the booster? So you'd say yes to her as well. So, yeah, right, as, long, um, as, has, as long as she hasn't had COVID before. I mean, if, if the boost, right. the, like the, having COVID effectively acts like a booster. Oh, how interesting. All right, Cindy in Dallas. I'll see if I can sneak you on quickly. Go right ahead. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I have a question about the frontline providers. How do we get a list of this, of these providers? Like I'm in. I'm sorry. You're in Dallas. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. You, you want to know how to get them, Doctor? I don't know if you can answer that. I'm not that familiar with that. Uh, do you know how she can get a list of frontline providers other than just doing I'm, a search? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, I think that if I would do. I apologize. I don't really know the answer to that question. Yeah, I don't know it either. Cindy, my apologies. I wish we could help you, and my apologies to everyone else who's on hold. I, I know they've been waiting a long time to get in, Doctor. I, I'm grateful for your time. I only have about a moment left, so I'm not going to grab any final calls. I just want to give you the last thirty seconds or so for some final thoughts. I think I want to tell folks, this is not something that we need to panic about. Uh, we have, this is not March of 2020. The development of this, this Omicron is not something we should panic because we have tools to address it. But don't fear, just uh, just do sensible things and everything uh, and things will go okay. Hey, doctor, thank you for your contribution over the year and how busy you are, how valuable your time is. I wish you a blessed Advent and a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for being here Merry today. Christmas to you too. Thank you. It's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Thanks for joining me. Have a great week.